From the Bill of Rights Institute, Fabric of History weaves together U.S. history, founding principles, and what all of this means to us today. Join us as we pull back the curtains of the past to see what's inside. The fourth has many different meanings for many different groups in America. Some see it as a time to celebrate with barbecues. Others ask deep questions about the prevalence of slavery, conflicting with the ideas of freedom for all presented in the Declaration of Independence. Many do both. Mary, Gary, and Aaron explore these themes today. So the 4th of July has always been a really special holiday for me, and not just because I love hot dogs, and I do love a good hot dog, but I'm a lifelong history nerd, as an employee of the Bill of Rights Institute should be, and it's America's birthday, so it's really, you know, it's it's a chance to celebrate hot dogs and the Declaration of Independence, and I think it's just, it's a, it's a fun summer holiday. Yeah, it's really, it's a highlight of the summer. I mean, summer's great all around, but uh, that to me has always been one of the big markers of you look forward to it when it's coming and kind of that's when it's real full swing summer. Uh, so I totally agree with you. And it literally takes all of um, those very generalized ideas of what summer is supposed to be and smushes it all into one day. Like you get... The hot dogs, the barbecues, the pools, the apple pie, the beaches, the clam bakes. And it's just all into one day. But I think it's very interesting to be like, why do we do all these things specifically on one day? Yeah. And it's also really interesting to me that the, you know, we all have shared experiences. It's such a collective thing that we're all celebrating. And yet we're all, I'm sure, have shades of of difference of how we have experienced it or things that stick out. Like what are your, when you think of your experience of 4th of July over the years, what, what really sticks out to you? I, I grew up going to the rodeo okay. on the 4th. <laughs> I did not. What, what is Which, that? Is that what right. people do? Well, yeah, here, here is what happens when you're from the West Coast. It's very like the Northern California um, gold rush town. So, yeah, it was just the week of 4th of July. Usually, I think the three starting July 1st through like the 5th, every night there was a rodeo. And, you know, you had your traditional rodeo. Um, another super fun part were the mutton busters. Are you guys familiar with mutton all. busters? Please define. I- <laughs> Mary's laugh. Oh, she doesn't know. Oh, you're going to laugh when you actually hear what it is. So it's little children, approximately uh, five years old, who all um, ride as long as they can on top of sheep who are running. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the one that lasts the longest long until they, they fall can. off is the winner. Okay. Yeah, and then so they have, like, their knee pads and their helmets on. And, I mean, they all literally, you know, the sheep start running out, and usually, like, t- three seconds later, they've all fallen That's off. That's amazing. Um, and the sheep the sheep but... are in on it. Yes. So the they're, yes. Okay. Well, I, I, I probably, they don't want to be in, but, um, yeah, so I'm sure also not everyone is pleased that the sheep are being no, used this fine. way. Um, but that's just, you know, what I grew up with in my yeah wholesome, wholesome, um, as well as, and then they did. Every rodeo always finished with fireworks. Okay. Um, and I, as I have told 
Gary and Mary before, every rodeo always started with this guy jumping out of an airplane, a skydiver, um, while the national anthem was playing. And as he got lower, then he would release a flag and land in the arena wow. to finish the national anthem. So it's very. That's some. That, yeah, that's but some literally, that's imagery like imagery there. Yeah. That I, that is literally the epitome of Fourth of July. I don't know why we let Aaron go first. And the lake. And the lake? Folsom Lake. Right. Everyone goes boating. Yeah, so I was a, I'm was. i a Long Islander, so uh, you know that, that does sound awesome. We didn't really have a lot of rodeos. Uh, I, I think, <laughs> to make I think even as an adult, <laughs> I look back and I think you know there was the classic, the thrill and kind of stress of just... The, Walking up the Main Street Parade, you know, when you were a when you were a kid, if you were in Cub Scouts uh, or had a baseball team, or these are op- these are not hypotheticals; these are ones I would be part of, right? You would have like a flag or a banner, and then there would be fire trucks and um, you know, similar kind of thing where it was just you'd walk through and and you hope it was a nice day, and it kind of almost always was, um, which is a nice placement of of early July, uh, and then yeah, it was always down to the beach area. Um, where there would be fireworks out on the water, uh, or even if you know if you're in New York, they do it on on the river and things like this. And you know, fireworks are such a such a key part of that. So yeah, it's like the food, fireworks, and getting together, and of course the flags everywhere. Although in a lot of the towns, the flags were kind of up all year round, but there was something about that day of seeing them. You really pay attention to them. I do want to say that I don't think we should have had Aaron go first because it's really hard to top the mutton busters. It's not a competition. Yeah. I, to each, I don't know. To each his own. Going down to the beach sounds yeah. really fun. And my lifelong goal as a child was to participate in a parade. So yeah. I mean, and then. Oh, it was like compulsory. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. the parade was <laughs> just something that you had to do as a child. I wish. Eventually, you're like, all right, cool. I can get on well, board with this. But, my 4th uh, yeah. of July was, it was very suburban. So there was a lot of, uh, some overlap with what Gary describes and also on the East Coast, but um, no beach, just we, there was always a block party. So we would gather with neighbors and have a big barbecue and then set off fireworks. So no rodeo, no waivers for riding sheep, no beach, but definitely, you know, fireworks and friends and, you know, good food and merriment and mosquito bites. Um, so just a, uh, it was yeah. still a fun, still a fun time. Sure. But I mean, what's in common is it's it's everybody comes together in your area. It's celebrating, you know, what it celebrates is very specific. It's it's it invites everybody into it. Um, And, you know, even though we're talking about different experiences, there's this weird commonality that probably has lasted a while. Mm -hmm. Lots of traditions. Right. Even if they vary from place to Mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it would be you know, this is the fabric of history and we're exploring these threads. So was the 4th of July, did we always have barbecues or how has the celebration sort of changed over time? Is it still changing? I think that's worth getting into. Let's explore that after the break. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about our experiences of the 4th of July and how we kind of just take it for granted that it's, you know, this the quintessential summer holiday. But 
why July 4th? Like why this day? What actually happens on this day? And I think one of the most interesting things to me about the 4th of July is that at the time, John Adams didn't actually think that July 4th was a special day. He thought July 2nd would be celebrated as our Independence Day. And he actually writes to his wife, Abigail, on July 3rd, that the second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. So it's just kind of funny that it's it's not actually the 4th of July to this man who was there and had such a huge role in you know cre- declaring independence. It was the 2nd of July. So... Yeah, it's a really good, it's a good point, the taking it for granted part, because again, these are people who are living in a world where there hasn't been tradition yet, because it is happening. And so, you know, I think the the common image is just this one moment where the first moment one person signs it, there you go, the whole thing's done, it's done in, you know, 30 seconds, and now we're independent. And it obviously doesn't work like that. It, it took some days, it took, um, but I also like in that same writing, that same letter that he had, that he sort of envisions a little bit of what we're talking about um he says if i can steal from the same section of of that letter he says it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade with shows games sports guns bells bonfires and illuminations from one end of the country to the other from this time forward forevermore i mean that's a really good description of what ends up happening yeah he got everything right except the date (laughs) why so but why did he want it to be the second of july versus the fourth and why is there this discrepancy i think so the short answer (laughs) is that 12 states voted for independence on july 2nd so 12 of the 13 colonies so it wasn't um but they wanted the decision to be unanimous. And New York abstained on July 2nd because they were waiting for direction from their state legislature. So on the 4th was when it was an unanimous decision. It was officially adopted and Congress approves it. So that's where the discrepancy comes from. But I think that two-day holding period where New York is waiting for directions on what to do is really interesting because like Gary alluded to before, at the time in 1776, this was a very dangerous choice and it was it was kind of a slow time coming because to declare publicly and openly independence from the world's greatest power was not to be taken lightly and any man that signed that document if we had lost the revolutionary war which seemed very possible at several points during the war all of those men could have been hung as traitors to the king so it's this fun time now, but at the time, I think it was a very solemn decision. And there was a lot of, you know, happiness and, you know, excitement because there were some who had been waiting for independence to be declared like John Adams. But I think for some people it was, you know, this is we're breaking with the motherland. We have these cultural and familial ties to Great Britain and we're casting them off. So it was definitely a big moment. And that's a really important point. You know, the celebration is about a document. The war, it's not like it was the day the war ended or the day the war began. It's celebrating the document that is happening while this revolutionary war is occurring. So so what is at stake is enormous. And I mean, we don't necessarily celebrate with the same pomp and circumstance, either the kickoff of the war or the roll up of the war it's the document and i think that's a really important part of 
that's that's the core basis of what we are celebrating is a written written document. Let's consider the birthday being this Independence Day, which again asterisk the fourth of July. Um, uh, but getting back to that sort of thing, like, so then, so we have sort of the beginning, what else about that, that vision at the time, or, or at least, at least afterwards, I mean, I, the celebration of the first anniversary is, is already the fourth, right? So in 1777, that's when it's considered the fourth is the day to mark. So, so decisions, I guess, had been made in between, in that year, um, but also a lot of what happens in that first anniversary sounds very familiar. Uh, I, I was finding one from the Virginia Gazette about how that town um, celebrated it. Uh, and there's some really interesting things that said um, there was uh, armed ships and galleys in the river. Uh, the colors of the United States and streamers were displayed. Um, they discharged 13 cannon from the ships uh, from each of the 13 galleys in honor of the 13 United States of the time. Um, the evening had bells and exhibit, uh, fireworks in 1777, uh, 13 rockets on the commons. Everything was illuminated. Um, so, so in that, within a year, July 4th, becomes at least the prototypical version of a, a seemingly common way to celebrate it with the, the colors of, of, of the United States, with the fireworks, uh, with the gatherings, with the music. So um, it's pretty remarkable compared to most traditions, how much has continued over centuries. What I think is really fascinating, too, is that the year following the Declaration of Independence it just seems like there is such joy and pomp and circumstance with a war still going on. And like Mary said, this was kind of dangerous. They didn't know if they were going to win the war. And they were already, in my opinion, celebrating it kind of like they had. this. And maybe that is because we know what 4th of July is today. But um, it does still seem very celebratory for a country at war with it, Great Britain. Well, I think um, at least to, I don't, this is, this is kind of speculative, but the war is hard. It's not just the men fighting it. You know, the women are supporting the army. In a lot of cases, they follow the army and your crops and your farm could be confiscated um, by either side. So there's, there's definitely, you know, life is hard. I mean, life is hard now, but I think life was much harder then. I think that's a fair statement. And maybe mm-hmm. it was just a chance to yeah. to have a celebration and just be with other people and, you know, have some fun. Because um, I think that's sort of how it works today. And I think maybe that's sort of a timeless mm-hmm. piece of it. I don't know. You know, I mean, it is. I mean, again, knowing the history of it, that there is still the war going on. This this reflection of the time has an has an important assumption of the buy-in of people, right? <laughs> to have crowds, you need a large number of people who not only believe in the cause, but believe in being independent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that everyone did, but there certainly was enough to celebrate together. I mean, what that must have been like in towns to say, like, it's a foregone conclusion. We're totally independent, even though we're still fighting a war about it. Uh, mm-hmm. And your neighbors, you know, I, I, I have to, again, speculate that there's a spectrum of opinion on this. And yet there's enough of a buy-in to warrant parades and big celebrations across the colonies. 
Yeah, and there there are good. Luckily, there are good primary sources of people who. Luckily, people journaled. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Virginia Gazette is reporting one year after the official adoption of the Declaration of Independence. There's this mat. It sounds like a really great party. I wish I was there to see the ships and all the firing of everything. <laughs> but. Who wasn't celebrating? Like, there are certainly loyalists. There are certainly people on the fence about independence. And there were also many enslaved individuals to whom this document talking about freedom and equality is not is not really applicable to their current situation. So I think that's something that maybe we should pause for a second and come back and talk a little bit about that. Okay, so before the break, we were talking about these, these, you know, these eternal principles that the Declaration of Independence puts forth. So it is a breakup letter, <laughs> but it's also it's very philosophical, and it has these really yes, it's a deep, a deep breakup letter. It really goes into the meaning of freedom <laughs> as we break up with Britain. Um, yeah. So, but um, we also, you know, said that there's, you know, there's this split between having these principles and then they're not fully applied at the time because you have the institution of slavery that exists. But I think what's really interesting about these promises, these eternal principles, is that they're set out from the beginning. And even in the very beginning, you have this um, movement of freedom suits where enslaved individuals petition for their freedom using the promises of the Declaration of Independence. And they are particularly clustered in New England. Um, you have um, freedom suits. There's a woman named Elizabeth Freeman and Quoke Walker in Massachusetts in, that lead to, um, in 1783. So you have all these, I mean, these promises aren't falling on deaf ears. People are very much in tune to, if all men are created equal, then why aren't we actually equal? And I think that is is extremely powerful that you have that from the very beginning. And it continues on into the 19th century as slavery, you know, persists in um, in the new country. Right. It shows a real, you know, it shows attention was paid to this document and really contemplated and sort of the, you know, not only moral, but also like legal arguments about if the foundation of this nation we are talking about is the case and if we exalt this document or honor this document, then there are some really good logical legal questions about what does freedom mean that, as you said, from the very beginning, people take on and monitor. So were the freedom suits a symbolic document or documents or were they actual um, legal documents that were presented to courts for as petitions for freedom? Well, I think it varied, and I'll speak to um, one petition that's called Belinda Sutton, and she petitions the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. She's actually, her owner was actually a loyalist, so she technically didn't have an owner. She actually petitions for basically reparations, saying, I have no income, I've worked my whole life. And she's given it. She's given that in a court of law, so due process applies. But um, it's very, um, I just think it's really, it's really again, I'm just, I'm repeating myself and now Gary, but just to have, and I think that's part of what makes the Declaration of Independence so 
incredible is that these principles mean something and people are going to use them to act on them as early as 1776 and they're still acting on them today. But I think um, one particularly, you know, one person who really eloquently points out this discrepancy between these principles and the reality of slavery is Frederick Douglass in his famous speech, you know, what to the slave is the 4th of July. And this is in 1852. But even Douglas, you know, himself, you know, he escapes from slavery. He doesn't despair that, I mean, he certainly wants slavery to end, but he says, well, drawing encouragement from the Declaration of Independence, the great principles it contains, and the genius of American institutions, my spirit is also cheered by the obvious tendencies of the age. So he's, you know, he's basically saying, you know, it's the 4th of July and you're celebrating, but I must mourn this day because slavery still exists. But he ends by saying, um, you know, that the downfall of slavery is inevitable. The doom of slavery is certain. I therefore leave off where I began with hope and just hope in this belief in these principles. That's extremely powerful for someone who experienced, you know, the horrors of slavery firsthand to say, you know, it's these principles, as we put them down in 1776, apply to everyone and the work is ongoing but we'll get there and I think that's just if that doesn't give you nerd goosebumps then check your pulse (laughs) nerd goosebumps I'm gonna start using that one yeah I mean that really is powerful though right again it's not a it's not a it's not a celebration of a thing that happened in the past and we're just remembering it this is an ongoing um action Independence Day is to is to at least one day a year, if not every day of the year. But on that one, come together and say, contemplate. You know, what was the meaning of this document? Is it a promise? Is it aspirational? Is it uh, it's so forward looking? But then also, where are we at right now with it? It's something that is we're always working toward these, as you said, kind of deeply philosophical breakup from England. But then, what are what are we on our own? Um, and that's, and that looking forward isn't just the end of the time that we were part of English colonies, but rather the beginning and ongoing struggles of what is this national identity? What is, um, you know, what are these freedoms, these, uh, these big parts? I mean, that, that speech is, is remarkable. You know, he, uh, Frederick Douglass refers to the, the great principles of political freedom and natural justice embodied in the Declaration of Independence, but then there's that it exists, but then he highlights, but how is it extended to us? How is it extended to everybody and in some way that really, really is not? Uh, and so that, that aspirational, it's, it's something, it's a reflection on the, the time as much as it is a celebration of the past. And, you know, a looking to the future that's super important. Um, you know, a, another one, a couple of years later, I, I, I thought it was an interesting um, uh, statement. Uh, in 1859, uh, the Banneker Institute of Philadelphia, uh, there was a chairman of the meeting, uh, Jacob C. White Jr. He was uh, talking to African-Americans to celebrate, about celebrating Independence Day. And his, his quote's really interesting, too. He said, Uh, We have learned by experience and by the comparison of ourselves with people similarly situated to hope that 
at some day, not very far in futurity, our grievances will be redressed, that our long-lost rights will be restored to us, and that in the full stature of men we will stand up and with our once cruel opponents and oppressors rejoice in the declaration of our common country and hail with them the approach of the glorious natal day of the great republic. And that is 1859. I think what's really interesting is that uh, kind of thinking back to our previous discussion about how the first time they really celebrated the 4th of July and the declaration, the war was still going on and it was very aspirational. And so I I think that kind of that message and that symbolism, it started in the year after the declaration was signed or even the date was signed 1776 1777 and they said we believe that these things will happen that we will persevere and it took many years for them to get that first step and so I think it is makes a lot of sense that that is just extended throughout the years and that we continue to have these aspirations that were set forth in the Declaration of Independence and how we can constantly learn and grow from them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, referring to the deeply philosophical breakup letter, right? These, these principles are, to take a word from Kirk, who works in our content team, uh, that they're abstract principles, but they, they have to be literally lived. There's daily choices and action and, and work that's done by by everybody. I mean, that's that's it doesn't just happen. You don't just de- declare it and some and the concept of freedom and equality emerges. I mean, that's something that is worked toward as exactly like you're saying, Aaron, daily at that point all the way through the centuries to today and tomorrow. Yeah, it's like there's always work that can be done and I like to believe that all the signers of the declaration that was what they were really striving for. Like we need to constantly <laughs> check ourselves. <laughs> and that's an ongoing thing because we're always we're humans, right? And we need to think about how we can always be better. So I think I think like Douglas said in 1852, we leave off where we began with hope that despite the fact that the promises of the declaration were not and sometimes still are not applied to everyone as they should be, people will still come together on the 4th of July. It's a civic holiday. You're with your your friends and your community and your family, but not just your family. You're with your family, the community at large, whether you are riding a sheep and with hopefully with protective gear or eating a hot dog or just sitting like in the grass watching fireworks. I think it's it's just a moment to think about you know, we're, we're lucky to be in a place that has these principles that we strive for and the work is ongoing, but, um, but there's not cause for despair. I think there is still cause for hope. And I think that is definitely worthy of a barbecue. So if you have something you want to share with us about the 4th of July, what does it mean to you or, um, how do you celebrate this day? What comes to mind? Please let us let us know. You can hit us up at comments at fabricofhistory.org. Thanks for listening. The Bill of Rights Institute engages, educates, and empowers individuals with a passion for the freedom and opportunity that exists in a free society. 
Check out our educational resources and programs on our website, mybri.org. Any questions or suggestions for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Just email us at comments at fabricofhistory.org. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to stay connected and informed about future episodes. Thank you for listening.